You are listening to the Imperfect Allies podcast. I'm Chris. This is Richie. And today we are going to get started with our Imperfect conversation as we have an amazing guest for you. Her name is Victoria Alexander. She is a PhD student over diversity and equity, and she spends a lot of time discussing spaces like colleges and fraternities and sororities and how diversity shows up in those spaces, which I thought was really cool to kind of discuss. But I'm going to say right now, this is going to be imperfect on my part. I've never been in a sorority or a fraternity. So, like, you know, I, I think my ideas of what those things look like are going to be very stereotypical because I don't have that firsthand experience. But, you know, mm. that's what this show is about. So, um, Richie, what about you? I mean, I barely stepped inside of college. So, I mean, <laughs> boom. <laughs> I don't have a, a really an experience at all uh, uh, with those folks. I mean, I do in the business world and that like people that are in, in the fraternities and sororities and that they, st they keep up with it, you know, like I'll see them like, you know, whether they have like rings or they got bumper stickers on their car or, you know, things like that. Um, there seems to be a lot of like pride and a lot of like, uh, uh, sense of community. So that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's cool. I know the, like from movies and television, I've been taught that it's all like parties and crazy and right. mostly white, except the two black fraternities uh, and one black sorority. I think I like, I think it's the numbers that I have in my head. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's it, you know? Um, but, um, you know, uh, but I, I, I think most of my education on them comes from eighties movies. So I'm, <laughs> I'm curious to see, <laughs> uh, what, it, what it's like. Uh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And to be, a, and to be a doctoral student, like there to go work on your PhD. Uh, that's just, I'm surprised that she has time even to talk to us. <laughs> it's right. like yeah. so much work, you know, busy. No, yeah, I, so much work. I also find it interesting because in my college experience, I remember the process of um, what is it's called Greek week where you're you're a new freshman and you're excited and you're like mm. walking um, around experiencing. And it's maybe like a, a fraud fraudity. I just combined the two words <laughs> sorority and fraternity <laughs> fair um, where you are experiencing all these different groups and they're kind of jockeying for you to join. Mm. And the whole time I did this at Texas A&M, I felt like I was choosing between white people or black people. Like I, I did mm. not feel as if I was choosing a fraternity for its merit. I just like, oh, that's a black fraternity. I have no choice but to go in this one. Mm, mm. I don't know if I want to do that. Let me join this one. Oh, but this one seems very stereotypical, broy, and you know, I, you know how I feel about Nautica shorts and <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> boat shoes. I was boat like, shoes. oh, I'm scared. You know, so I backed out of that. And so I said, you know what? I'm going student organization. That's going to be my okay. fraternity, right? And um, it was just something that I couldn't overcome. And I look back on that and I feel like I missed out on a lot of mm. experiences and brotherhoods and connections. Um, but at the same time, there is this huge disconnect between the experiences of fraternities and sororities from a black and white expect uh, from a black and white perspective. And I don't know if you, you heard this story, but so there's a football player who plays for the Eagles. His name's Jalen Hurts. And he yeah. got caught. A, someone caught a photo of him in a game with his tongue just like wide out. Mm -hmm. And the reporter was like uh, this reporter. I think his name was Russ Joy or something like that. He reported on this football player is like, oh, look at him. 
this football player is channeling his inner his inner um what's the dude from kiss uh his inner gene simmons gene Sim- oh yeah right and black people are like we don't gene that has nothing to do with gene simmons that is he's a oh, q no. dog that's our fraternity that's that's how they oh, okay. that's how they show up and so it's like the 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 outside world looking in on black culture and black fraternities it completely misses all the references doesn't share them in any yeah. way yeah. and so it is this clear disconnect between the two and so i, I kind of want to explore that because you know me from an imperfect aspect of it i see these division i see this division i see these lines and maybe they're not there maybe victoria's like nah honestly like they're all they're all about the same you know i i want to mm. explore that i want to know more that's that's one reason why i definitely wanted to have her on okay yeah I, I, you know doing the show it's really interesting to see those things to find those things because when um when we talk to each other it, it, it feels like we're kind of constantly surprised about our perspective or, or the context we have things you know like uh whether something that's innocuous or just like you know banal or whatever like something innocent looks like something really crazy from one from one group or the other right so one group like this is fine the other group's like no it's not right um and um yeah that's just really that's really fascinating because uh, i think if we talk more like we've like kind of you and i've i've seen in our own personal lives like as we talk more like we're able to like empathize more and you know just oh, okay it's fine it's okay I, and we can talk about that thing like if uh cool uh so yeah so that it kind of reminds me of like just the things that you think are okay sometimes aren't like last night i was at a at a, a workshop doing stand-up and kind of getting notes on our sets and stuff helping each other yeah. work through jokes and somebody used the word midget in their joke and the person mm-hmm. that was leading it was like was like hey like we can't i can't that's that's not a word that we can use anymore and the other person was just sort of shocked like what like you can't like that's not even a that's not even a word that's like anything close to being bad like that's what the kind of the processing and the rest of us were like hey like it's cool like (laughs) nobody's mad at you it's just like hey you should you should know that this is this is a thing and so they they could continue to use that word in their circles and not have any constant you know nobody would care um but I mean, I think if you we try to respect each other and 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 learn from one another, like you know, be able to change that or move it to something. And we actually I think we found a funnier tag for it. So as a group, oh, nice. we found like a funnier tag. Tag. Um, uh, so uh, anyway, so it just that just reminded me of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, well, and uh, it doesn't sound like in that situation that there was much outrage, but it is just interesting how. It, the miscommunication it, like we, we don't share the same uh, references it's like how do we go about agreeing but also knowing that it's okay to disagree i, I mean because it, it sounds like in this situation mm-hmm. you know with comedy specifically you're trying to build a set that you can get you can maximize so i yeah. would understand why you would want to change the words uh and things like that but a lot mm-hmm. of times you have people who they honestly don't see a benefit to changing that. Like, why would I mm. switch that up? You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, uh, you, you know, I think you switch it up 
to um to show respect you know there's no you're not the the benefit the, i guess the benefits of whatever you're doing or the behavior you're doing who does it help like does it help you to say that word or does it does it hinder you well in some groups it's fine it it can i guess you know there's still like a a uh, what's the word i'm looking for uh, an audience that will still laugh at that stuff and any any kind of thing right uh that maybe be off-putting to other people so I guess there's some benefit, but I think the society at large is like, well, let's, you know, what are the, what are the little people ask us to call them? They ask us to call them little people. So, okay, mm. fine. Yeah. No problem. Boom. I mean, I, but you know, again, like your dad challenged me on that, you know, last week, he's like, you know, why, why be so deferential? So, I mean, it, it, it is, it, I, I guess it is like, what does it benefit you to, what does it benefit you to listen to somebody, uh, uh, and, and, and really, um, uh, believe their experience uh, versus somebody else that might be speaking up for them and like mm. defending them and they didn't ask for it. So like, I think that's where you get aunt Jemima, uncle Ben stuff. You get people yeah. standing up for, you know, standing, trying to stand up for black people. Look, look at these images that th th this must be awful. And by and large, the black community has said, I don't care about that. I want you to stop no knock warrants. I want you to stop cash bail. I want you to stop yeah. <laughs> like police brutality. Like there's all these things that I care about. Um, whether it be like college entrance or, or just, you know, this, the bevy of things that we have or, you know, to deal with. And, yeah. and I, I like that you bring up our last episode because something that my dad said that we didn't really get time to talk on was he was talking about affirmative action. Yeah. And he, he mentioned that when he came out of college, companies were looking for, um, looking to hire black professionals. Yeah. And my mom shares this story in, in one mm -hmm. of our really early episodes when she worked at her first big company, which was mobile. She, right. she felt really represented. And, you mm -hmm. know, I, I'm curious how we're in this current climate where, you know, affirmative action. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it working? Is it not working? Yeah. And both my parents speak to it as if, no, yeah, that was a great time for us. Mm -hmm. And and so, you know, the the, the data that says it's not working data can easily be manipulated so like what aspect are they looking at because mm -hmm. um if they were looking at affirmative action for college admissions versus affirmative action for college graduates right that's a totally different that that's yeah. like measuring the group of people that might fail anyway and then mm -hmm. saying that that's why affirmative action failed versus let's look at those that graduated and what happened yeah. to them afterwards, you know, like, yeah. let's, yeah. let's change the population that we're looking at. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just found that interesting, especially as we're about to talk to Victoria about colleges and uh, about diversity and uh, equity in those spaces. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I'm, I'm really interested because uh, because I think that word is the that word is the word, uh, at least in my head so far is, you know, we've talked about we've. Yeah, I have all these words, diversity, inclusion, equality, justice. Um, but equity seems to, seems to really sum up, uh, what I think, what I think the whole black lives matter movement is saying, and most justice movements, social justice movements are saying is like, we want a fair shot. Like Shazad said, we want a fair shot. Yeah. And, 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 um, um, I think there, I think, um, Affirmative action, you know, is an attempt at equality, uh, lifting people up, some people up, you know, the perception was some people were lifted up more than others. 
really, I mean, really, you know, with, with Exxon Mobil, for instance, or Mobil, when your parents are hired, right? They, you know, affirmative action was just, is just for government jobs. Mm-hmm. And while that is, um, I, I can, I can hear people critique the critique it. Um, you know, your parents, uh, your parents, um, were impacted because the company go, Hey, that's, that looks like that might be a good idea. That might work for us to get, right. to get, you know, so let's, let's adopt some of those, those kind of things. So, um, but it wasn't a mandate from our government that, that anybody hire anyone outside of government jobs. Right. And right. so, and I think that's a huge misconception that, and we've talked about this before, but I, I think it bears repeating over and over again. Uh, you know, cause I, cause I remember, I remember in, um, going in, I was going to, I was going to get into the military. Uh, that's my, uh, you know, I was going to try to get into the air force. And, um, uh, one of the things that the recruiter said to me, who was black, he was like, you know, if you were black or native American, I could get you into this other program, but I can't. Mm. And I remember I was like, that's really, and as at the time I'm, I'm pretty right wing and listening, listening to Rush Limbaugh every day. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, that's, you know, total BS. Like I can't handle this. This is, this is a broken system. And, and I think there are people, I, I think, I think that, you know, uh, we have to acknowledge the entire, the entire, all the data, right? Like the people that felt disenfranchised and pushed out, whether, whether it was just in their head, mm-hmm. like having, accepting people's experience of like, I feel you know, a white person sitting at a desk, uh, a manager at some, you know, company says, you know, they're telling you, I feel disenfranchised. I feel, uh, like, you know, my, you know, I don't matter. Like I'm a less of a person or, I, you know, I'm, I'm not getting a fair shake at the same time, you know, um, I think we, okay. It's just hard to talk about. Cause it's, it's like, I'm not trying to give people, uh, uh, it's, and my brain's not letting me do it today, Chris. I just think we need to listen to everybody mm-hmm. and, and not, um, necessarily dismiss someone's objection to something that's good because of their experience, Yeah, the way they feel. I'm not saying that we should legislate because of the way people feel or really run our lives because of the way people feel, but at least acknowledge and listen and like take in that, you know? Yeah. Like, like, because that's how we get to solutions because the guy, you know, um, I mean, I, you know, if you read, uh, uh, Robin D'Angelo's book, she has an example of like getting, getting and talking about this stuff, like diversity and inclusion stuff. And I mean, there's people red faced at the table. Like, so like what, what brings a person to that place? Mm. Not that they're right or not that they're like, you know, whatever. It's just that why are they, why is that affecting them that way? How are, why are they feeling that way? Um, and there's a, there's a Harry Belafonte movie that like, there's this scene and I think it's in, um, uh, this uh, James Baldwin documentary on Amazon where it's like this, you know, it's like Henry Belafonte is on one side of the room and a white, poor white guy with a gun is on the other. And he's like, you know, what about me? Like, what about, you know, I'm supposed to be in power. I'm supposed to be, have all this stuff. I'm broke. I'm not, I've got, I'm addicted to drugs. My wife, like all this mm. stuff, like my life's crap, mm. you know? And I, if it's hard because you have a systemically marginalized or attempted to marginalize, attempted to humanize system, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, uh, for that's, that has been attempted to oppress black people. And it has in a lot of areas, right? Yeah. I say attempted because I, 
you know, the things it's we've been talking about. Attempted. I feel yeah. like I feel like we can admit that there have been attempts. Yeah, right? for sure. You know, we might disagree on if the outcomes went a certain way or not, but I think there are clear attempts. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's even there's some parallels with the, you know, labeling of slave versus enslaved, like mm -hmm. like, um, you know, there there is an attempt that's been made to do this. And um, there are still other people that that um, look like those in power who, you know, as we saw through the Hillbillies documentary or, or yeah. uh, through the, some of the books we're reading, Masterless Men or just other other there's other there, there are there's people that look like those that are in power that are getting lumped into that. But just with some of the messages, mm -hmm. <laughs> we're going to divide both of you and tell both of you that you're the enemy. Yeah. And then, and then, okay, y'all just fight amongst each other and, uh, we'll sell guns and we'll sell cigarettes and we'll sell beer and we'll sell, yep. uh, you know, we'll open Walmarts and then y'all, you know, whatever. And, uh, yeah, I mean that, that kind of thing. I just, uh, I don't well, know, man. I don't, go ahead. I saw a Ju Have you seen Judas and the black Messiah? Not yet. Not yet. Oh, okay. You got to watch it. Uh, one thing okay. that was really interesting. So, you know, we got to also remember these things that happened were before the internet in, yeah in the country that is very large. So like in Texas, we're not hearing about Fred Hampton, not mm. saying that that's overt racism. I'm saying that that's something that happened up North that not necessarily we're experiencing uh, in mm. Texas as much, but they, they portrayed Fred Hampton as someone who was for white power, black power, brown power, Asian power, your power. Mm. And mm. it was, it was crazy because I heard it for a second. He was like, white power. Yeah. White power, black power. Yeah. I was like, Whoa, 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 whoa. Wow. Mm. I I haven't heard it said that way, but at that moment I'm it it clicked with me that white power doesn't have to have power over me because I don't think black power has power over you, Richie. Mm. And I understand I understand the historical ramifications, but if we're thinking about the hillbillies who no longer want to be disenfranchised, sure. right? And white right. power is something that helps lift them up. And it, it's not from a, a, a place of hate. It's from, hey, I'm white and 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 I want to have that too. And hey, I'm mm -hmm. black and I want to have that too. And so mm -hmm. it was very interesting to, to hear this young 21 year old and how he carried himself and how mm -hmm. he knew how to unite each other. And now he was clearly for communism. That that yeah. was something that he pushed. And that's anti-American yeah. in many ways. So I'm, I'm not saying I'm pro-communism when I'm saying what I, what I like about Fred Hampton. I am saying that the way he galvanized people was through unity. And mm -hmm. There's so much power in that aspect of humanity is when we are mm. united, we are able to truly create, we are able to truly change and and improve or evolve whichever way you want to interpret that. And mm. I, I it just it, it shook me when I heard them say white power. Yeah, white mm. power. Sure. And, you know, they wrote that. But I, I but I think they pulled a lot from who Fred Hampton was authentically. As I've, mm. as I've read and done more research on uh, him and his story. Okay. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I, I would be very uncomfortable with that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I get, you know, oof, uh, there's a, di I get, you know, white supremacy is different than uh, that maybe. I don't know. They're really, they're really closely linked. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting one. And it kind of goes back to our conversation earlier, right? Like about um, you know, what, what your words, you, what your words mean or have effect on other people in, in, in these various groups. Mm 
Um, cause I think, I mean, I think you're onto something about uh, as far as unity. I mean, but it, it's, it's a weird thing because we generally, we unify over an enemy, right? We unify over, over someone that we're trying to push away or whatnot. So definitely, definitely. Yeah. Well, uh, we are going to get started as we start to talk with our amazing guest today, Victoria. Uh, thank y'all for listening to this candid as we wrap things up. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are now having our amazing conversation with our guest. Um, thank you, Imperfect Allies. I know that we are always trying to grow and learn new things. And so we're just delighted to have Victoria Alexander here to really, you know, show me and Richie the, the best ways to be because we're so imperfect on our end. So we're hoping yep, yep. that we can get some <laughs> guidance here. Um, but Victoria, welcome to the show. Can you tell us who, welcome, who welcome. are you? Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Victoria. I use she, her pronouns. I am a full-time PhD student at the University of Maryland where I study higher education and student affairs. So basically what that means is that I research how to teach college students and adult learners about social identities so things like race, class, gender, religion, um, ability status, and how to develop their own identities while understanding their sort of place within a social world and how to recognize challenge and change systems of oppression. Uh, I also wow. work full time in the fraternity sorority life office there where I do diversity work and I uh, work as a public speaker doing trainings and keynotes and workshops and stuff like that. So I'm excited to be here with you all. Awesome. We are excited to have you. I think. Um, yeah, for sure. As far as it goes for the wealth of information that you are, are working through. I'm just curious, as a, a PhD student, where do you find the time? <laughs> um, I think it's a, it's a combination of this, doing what I do helps me feel okay in a world that is so unfair because I'm trying mm. to do what I can to make it better. Uh, and so it makes me feel all right-ish in that respect. Uh, also, I really enjoy working with people and sort of like seeing them come out the other side and learn something and feel that like liberatory power. And then these college loans are not going to pay themselves. And I've got a lot of them. So we got to keep it awesome. There you go. I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> um, Rich, um, I I'm curious what your thoughts are on navigating, educating so many people in this space. And you and I are kind of we're trying to foster education, but we don't. I, I, we are not educators. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. Uh, I know. Um, I, I think we're we're more uh, we're more demonstrators, I guess. Mm. I mean, or you know, they're more demonstrative about like, uh, you know, this show has been a place where um, Chris and I and our guests can make mistakes um, and and learn and grow like in the moment and process in the moment. And, um, you know, uh, I mean, I've been called out a couple of times on the show and be like, all right, cool. Like, thank you. That's a good call out or whatever else. And, 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 and learn from that, um, and try to demonstrate, um, you know, the ability to make mistakes and, and it, and learn and be okay, you know, to learn like exactly, you know, kind of what you're talking about, what you want to teach or what you're teaching. Yeah, definitely. And I think we just kind of leaned on learning from people and then trying to model that for our for our guests. And so um, with that being said, I'm curious how you even got to this point in your life. Like what led you to this path? 
so first, you both mentioned demonstrating and modeling, which are like the two foundations of human learning and observation in that we model what other people do as social creatures. And like we teach each other yeah. what to think about things, how to care about things. Uh, so I think that's really powerful. So like, even though you, your title might not be educator, you are doing that work. Um, <laughs> I don't want but... that pressure. That's all. <laughs> I'm not trained. Uh, I don't... <laughs> uh, so I came to do this work. I probably started uh, on this path around my junior year of college. Uh, so I was mm-hmm. in school uh, during the beginning of Black Lives Matter, and I went to a predominantly white and like elite institution that lends itself mm-hmm. to have a very small percentage of Black students for a variety of mm-hmm. reasons, but like general social sure. injustice um, and poor recruitment, likely. Um, but at the time, I was really thinking with myself, like, are there people in my life who have no idea how to talk about racism, uh, what it yeah, might yeah. feel like to experience it. And are they equipped to be my friend at this point in my life or do they, uh, do they got to go? So through mm. that experience, I wanted to be a resource for black students at predominantly white institutions, as well as research ways to better equip non-black students to understand experiences that they will never have. Mm. Wow. Yeah, definitely. Because that's I mean, I think that's the hardest part is understanding something you you have no frame of reference for. Like, Mm -hmm. how how do you I mean, I guess, Rich, you've been trying to navigate that in a lot of ways, but that just seems very difficult. And I I commend you, Victoria, for for extending it to to that population as well. um, And also being a resource for black students in these spaces, because my college experience was being you know in the lower percentage of the students in the school that were black and trying to navigate that especially in texas you know it's difficult so um i think that's awesome i'm I'm curious rich is there anything from your perspective that um that is maybe like a barrier to entry for not ever having those experiences like I'm curious what, what, what your walk of life has been comparing to what Victoria does. Well, I mean, I think, you know, we talked about it early on in the, in the show, um, or earlier episodes is that, you know, for me growing up, you know, race, race to even talk about race, uh, was taboo. So it, you know, uh, you know, I was sort of brought up in the colorblind, like, you know, it doesn't matter. And like, everybody's everybody, like under the guise that everybody's equal, Um, but that's not really the message. The message is white is normal and black is different. And so, Mm. uh, we don't talk about different things. Um, it's kind of, kind of my experience. And so to be even, to even talking in things of like, talk about things like I'm white, like that, that's a weird concept and and not something that I was ever, at least socially. I mean, it's never talked about education wise, like white or black issues, but Mm. like socially, socially was really, um, never talked about never. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Does that answer your question? Sorry. Yeah. Well, I think so. I, I'm I'm curious if if rich your experience is kind of the the what you run into, Victoria. Like just on a day to day, it's you know, maybe white students who don't even know how to really express their whiteness or or know or how to look at it from that lens. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm just gonna sit up a little straighter. <laughs> 
I was like, my head was much lower than all of yours. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that is something that historically we've seen a lot of like people who have dominant identities don't tend to think about it. Right. So like if you're able-bodied, you don't tend to think about Mm -hmm. what life would be like if you weren't, if you're a man, you don't tend to think of what life would be like if you were a woman, if you're white, you don't Mm -hmm. tend to think of what life would be if you were a person of color. And I think right now we're talking about our identities a little bit more than we have in the past. So that's right. Uh, less common, but still very common. Um, So I was having a conversation with one of my students uh, a few years ago who is white. And he asked me, like, where are you from? I'm like, I'm from New York. And he's like, yeah, but like, where are you from? And I was like, "Mm." Mm -hmm. Um, are you asking me like how I racially identify? And he's like, yes. And I was like, okay, I'm black. What what about you? And he's like, I'm just American. And I'm like, right. "Mm." Yeah. Yeah, Are interesting. Yeah. What they meant yeah. was like, I'm a white person. My family is from somewhere in Europe, from whatever. Um, or mm. I, I was talking with one of my teammates from undergrad. I ran track in undergrad, and one of my teammates was talking with me about uh, going to dinner with his cousin, and LeBron James was on the television and in the restaurant or the bar or wherever mm-hmm. they were. And my friend is not incredibly tall, and he was like, "Wow, what must life be like?" To be as tall as LeBron James. Like, I'd be dunking on people. I'd be looking down on people's mm-hmm. bald spots. And then his cousin was like, I could walk home at night and not be scared. And he was like, oh, mm. goodness. Like, I'm so sorry. I didn't even consider that you yeah. would use that height to feel safe in a world as a woman. Whereas wow. I just want to look at people's bald spots. Uh, yep. Yeah. But yeah, all yep. I to say is, yeah, what Richie mentioned about not talking about it, not thinking about it, is absolutely on par with uh, mm-hmm. what is typical of uh, students who have dominant identities. Right. Well, because I, I don't, and I'm curious about students in your case too, because in my case, when I started talking about it, the, the more and more I talk about it, the more I listen and, and share experiences and, and, and hear other people's experiences, the more I want to help make things change. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if there is a social reason why, why those sort of those norms are in place to, to keep, to keep that conversation from not happening. I mean, I, I've come to expect that those norms would be in place to keep things from happening because people who have dominant identity have a vested interest in maintaining that dominance. And if they create an atmosphere hmm. in which it is okay to challenge that dominance, then that dominance is then at stake. Uh, it's the same hmm. reason why corporations encourage uh, employees not to talk about how much money they make so they can pay them yeah. differently and not get caught. Uh, and right. so once we start talking about it, then the game kind of gets given up. Uh, yeah. So there's yeah. there's not an yeah. interest to talk about it. There's a there's an article called Unpacking the Invisible Knapsack by Peggy McIntosh, where she talks about mm. white privilege and she talks about it as an unearned set of a- assets by which I was meant to remain oblivious. You're not supposed mm-hmm. to talk about it, because if you say that you have these unearned advantages, it might mean to some people that like you didn't deserve to do well because you cheated or because you had an unfair head sure. start. And that directly contradicts a hope that a lot of us have that the world is fair and just. And if you work hard, you do well. And we treat people how we deserve to be treated. And to acknowledge that privilege exists directly contradicts that notion of a just world. Yeah. Wow. I, and I think just being, you know, able-bodied is one perspective that I can really have is it, it's so hard to to see 
the challenges that someone else is facing and and like that perfect example of just being safe if you're taller i i mean i'm i'm a man so i guess i don't necessarily see because i'm not the tallest guy in the world i'd like to say you know i'm six two but that's in my head i'm actually just five eight you know so (laughs) it is what it is but just the the idea that you have to think outside yourself it's it's almost seems impossible right like the discussion can't happen because i i can't even imagine it without talking to each other and so i'm curious how much uh in your field is about collaboration and discussion and focus groups or things of that nature sure so there's a, a theory by Derek bell who's a critical race scholar um called interest convergence it's the idea that someone who has a dominant identity or a privilege or a benefit has no interest in stopping that system that allows them to have that benefit unless there's something in them in it for them as well. Uh, and so trying to find that line of interest convergence is helpful, but it's also harmful because you're saying to this person, this system is hurting me. It's hurting people who look like me. It's killing people who look like me and I want you yeah. to care. And that person is saying, mm, what's in it for me? Uh, mm. But a lot of that is human nature, unfortunately, depending right. on the human. Uh, so across the scope of like U.S. history around like um, the civil rights movement was also the Holocaust. And so a lot of the country was looking at America and saying, how are you going to take a stance against the Holocaust when you treat black people genocidally? Mm-hmm. And so right. then we had the civil rights movement around the same time. So there was a vested interest in American reputation uh, to not treat black people horribly, which they still did. But a little bit less so yeah. for a little while. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what this next interest convergence is. I have seen mm-hmm. presently a lot of people, white people who have a stake in white supremacy, give up some of their privilege and, and try to yeah. join the fight and try to be an ally and all of those things, which has been great to see. Um, that enthusiasm has certainly died down recently. So I'm very interested to see what it looks like in a maintenance phase uh, and how much of that energy is maintained without them having to get something out of it. Hmm. So in a previous episode, um, we were talking with a businessman's name, Shazad. And in that episode, he said, you know, one of the foundations of business is you can tell the, you can predict the success of a system based on its incentive structures because of human, human desires and things like that. And I'm, uh, with regards to or what I'm noticing from what you said is that a lot of the civil rights movement, the incentive was to be better than the Nazis. And so we saw some change. And this also connects where there were segregated camps. Communism was saying, hey, look at America. They they don't even let their black troops fight. They let them die together, but they don't let them live together. And so then I think it was Truman or or someone at the time um, basically desegregated the military solely for the incentive of not being communist or being better than communism. And and so I'm I'm curious if if the diversity and inclusion space is looking to create incentives or is it more focused on saying you shouldn't need incentives? I can't speak for the entire diversity and inclusion space, but within the scope of higher education, we talk a lot about the complicity we feel as members of like the academic community uh, because Mm -hmm. higher education can be incredibly oppressive given that it's quite difficult to access 
Um, the more elite the institution gets, typically the less diverse it gets. Yeah. Um, there's not a whole lot of support once a student gets there to make sure that uh, they persist. And so we have to kind of take a look in the mirror and say like, hey, I want to break down these systems, dismantle them and build better ones. But I'm also a part of a system that disenfranchises yeah. people. Um, and so that can be quite hard. Uh, and I'm thinking a lot now about like, I want to burn this all down, but also it pays my bills. So mm. like where, mm. how radical can I be and still have a home? Like how, right. how much can I push the envelope and still have a job? Uh, yeah. But then on the other, on the flip side of that, it's like, well, do I need this job or any number of things? And I had a conversation recently uh, around the start of Black History Month. I was talking about uh, how to celebrate Black History Month. And I posted like a bunch of options. And one of them mm -hmm. was like, learn about the Black Panthers. And then another one was like, mm. bank with a black owned bank. And someone was like, how could yeah. you talk about the Black Panthers that were a communist organization and uh, blank with, bank with a black bank? And I said, you know, Believe it or not, not all black people have the same opinion. So you can learn about both of those things. And, <laughs> and Come on. two, Come on. <laughs> I can be anti-capitalist and still need to keep a roof over my head and have money. Like, I don't like mm -hmm. capitalism, yeah. but I still have to keep myself alive. Uh, and so when mm. I'm thinking about, is it about needing interest convergence or is it about saying, like, system be damned, I'm going to go without it? It, I think it can be a little bit of both, but it has to be realistic for it to happen. And so I think that requires a little bit of borrowing from like a more radical tactics and a little bit of borrowing from like more moderate is too soft of a word, but more uh, even keel within system tactics. Yeah, yeah a, a mix of disruptors and um someone also with stability i guess and and that's kind of what we found on this podcast as we've gone through this journey talking about different people from to totally different walks of life it sounds like you know where we have the most effective opportunity is where we are united and we kind of are taking a little bit of that yin and that yang and, and creating a, a balance um and so with that as we learn more about you can you share with us what are some of the labels that you prescribe to for myself? Yes, for yourself. Um, I'm an educator. I'm a millennial. I'm a woman. I'm black. I'm also biracial. I was an athlete in college. I would like to call myself mm. an athlete still, but I haven't left the house mm. in days. So um, <laughs> yeah. I've been running outside. Um, <laughs> what else? I'm a big sister. It's very important to me. I have seven siblings. Yeah. I'm the oldest. Um, and I think that at my core, I'm someone who cares. Like my care is very genuine and I have a sincere desire to make the unheard feel valued and seen and appreciated. And to mm -hmm. be, uh, there, there's another theory called community cultural wealth. It's just the idea that communities have value uh, in whatever their culture is, even if that mm -hmm. culture is so far from the dominant culture that it's looked down upon. Uh, so I always yeah. want to be the person that sees the value in communities that don't always get the uh, applause they deserve. That's an awesome label. I, that's a first. We haven't gotten that. Um, <laughs> that would be a very right. long label. Take a long time to <laughs> <laughs> the extended label um but it, it, i think it, it it speaks to you know 
the labels are also your values. And that happens in a lot of ways is what we consider ourselves as labels. Those things also build some of our values. And uh, I think it's hard to understand someone else's label when we kind of see them solely as divisive and we're not connecting to characteristics and values and things that a lot of us share in a lot of different ways. Um, while I was hearing you talk, I was curious about um, that community mindedness. I know on our podcast, we also talk about the dominant culture of individualism. And I'm curious how you personally maybe educate or navigate that. I, I just feel like there's a big difference in our country on maybe the community mindedness versus the individual. So I think it depends on which culture you're looking at, because I find that communities of color tend to be very community based. Um, and some cultures aren't very community based. And that's not like all communities of color. It's not all white communities. Uh, right. But mm-hmm. my community was always very culturally based. And so I grew up really appreciating my neighbors and the people in my city and my family. And I was thinking uh, a few years ago how I don't tend to see people of color using babysitters as much. Like there always Mm. seems to be like a friend or an aunt or a cousin or something that can watch your kids. Oh yeah. And every family I've ever babysat for was a white family and my black Mm. friends just didn't have babysitters. And that just, I think it's a very small example of like leaning on your community a little bit more. Um, But I do find that when I speak with my students who are white Americans, there does tend to be a lot of like, this is my individual freedom and this is my freedom of speech and these are my rights. And they don't really Mm -hmm. care so much, as much as some others, if it hurts people. And I think, I mean, we're even seeing that with uh, COVID-19 now, of how other countries are able to get their stuff together, whereas America Mm -hmm. is still like partying out with no masks. Um, And that's not to say that other cultures are better than ours, but I think ours is certainly more individualistic. Um, But that's a part of the American dream, right? It doesn't work if we all try to reach it. It only works if a few of us get there. Well, that's that's an interesting experience because that was that was my experience that 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 was my experience coming into the show and talking is is you know um, having and I kind of interpreted it as a lack of culture. I don't know if that's true or not, but for me it was like um, it, I I mean word for word, you know, word for word about you know what you're talking about with uh, white people white people I'll say in my life that I've grown up with and been around. It's it's you know we have our family, um, but you know, extended family is far apart and, you know, hours away and there's no extent, there's, there's no extension beyond that. I don't know any second or third cousins, um, and and things like that, where Chris has talked about, I've got 18 people I can call (laughs) right now if I'm in a jam, um, you know, and, uh, that just, that's, that's really, that's really, really interesting. Um, that I, I grew up in Texas and are, are you, are you from New York or is that where you're from? Yeah. So, so being, being in that space too, it was, it was similar. That's interesting to me. Um, I, uh, this may be off the, off the topic or off rails, but it's, it's kind of a burning question in my head about this. We had a, one of our previous guests, uh, Gerald McAllister was a political science, um, professor and, um, and he talked about, um, the, well, he talked about a lot of things. He's out. He's out of. He's out of academia now, um, and he he chalked it up to his um, 
conservative views. Like he, he said, somebody had said something about him being conservative and, and just threw, threw his resume away or whatever else. Um, and, and I say, I say that to say like, what do you say to, to people that are, that are white, that look like, a, look like the dominant culture they are, they're in it, uh, but don't feel like they are, or, 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 or feel they, they say, well, I'm just as disenfranchised or whatever else as anybody, anybody of any other color. How do you, how do you speak to that? So I tend to hear that quite frequently. I mentioned I work mm-hmm. in uh, fraternity and sorority life. And so sometimes that lends itself to a predominantly white population. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'll hear rhetoric around like, it's a hard time to be a straight white man right now. Um, sure, but, sure. But typically what I'll say to that is that your feelings being hurt or you being under a microscope for a minute is not oppression. It might not feel mm. great in the moment, but you're not being oppressed. Uh, okay. And so I'll talk okay. with my students and say like, okay, you feel uncomfortable being a straight right, white man right now. How many presidencies have been straight white men? How many senators? Mm. How many Congress mm. people? How many mayors? How many CEOs? How many presidents? How many CEOs? How much of the country are people that look like you controlling right now? The answer mm. is most of it. Right. And most of it, even when you control for population size, you're disproportionately running this country. Mm-hmm. And so when people are like, we're being forgotten about, I shouldn't do an accent. We're being forgotten about. <laughs> um, you're not. The whole, the whole country knows that you're uh, running the show here. We are just right. opening our eyes to that. We're talking about how... Mm-hmm. it got this way. We're talking about how it continues mm-hmm. to be this way, despite having this conversation generation after generation. It's because the system is designed for that to happen for you. The system is designed to help you fail up all the way to the presidency. Mm-hmm. But sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. It, it, it just becomes, and I'm not saying that you think this way, Richie, but it just becomes baffling that we hear that so frequently from people who really, well, really mean it. Right. Yeah, they do. Cause I think they're, I think that so, so both of those, the disconnect from the community Right. Mm-hmm. You can say that white people are president. That has nothing to do with me as a white, like, it, you know, in my experience, because I'm not I don't have a community with white people. I, that's not mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with me. So I'm wondering because 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 um, I, uh, I want to get through I want to get through to people like for me, mm-hmm. it was just a, it was a question of like it was it was undeniable. And I realized I was benefiting from a system that was killing, killing my brothers and sisters, killing my family, killing my relatives. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I was benefiting in some way and I want to, I want to stop that. That's what, that's what, but it, it took a really violent death, a really violent public humiliating a death yeah. murder to, to bring that about in my, in, in my, in my life. So, um, I, I, I wonder, cause I think because there's so many of those <laughs> of that, like there's so much of that, um, whether they're talking points or, you know, rhetoric around that stuff. I, I, I want to find a way to get through to them. I want to find a way to get to, 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 to a place of empathy, to a place of compassion, to a place of connectedness, not only with the people that are oppressed in some way or, or you know, dehumanized or systemically, you know, just marginalized, uh, but also a connection to the to power to like, no, look, you, you benefit, see how you benefit, you know, mm. and I'm just curious. I mean, it, you know, any ideas? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I find it's definitely a little bit easier to create that commonality when we talk about class so when we yeah. when we control racial groups for class and we only talk about 
uh, low-income people, the mm-hmm. experiences there tend to be a little bit more similar, though mm-hmm. Black people do face being low-income disproportionately more than white people do because of racism mm-hmm. and classism and all of those things. But the right. way that race and class have been so intricately linked in the U.S. has made it so that white people will also face some of the like proximal negative effects of racism if they are mm. near to people of color, uh, mm. either proximally or based on class. So yeah. let's talk about like lower income white people in cities. They also mm. deal with heightened police presence. They also deal with voter disenfranchisement, mm-hmm. but they are dealing with those things because they are proximal to people of color. And we see mm-hmm. a lot of times that people in power, white people in power, are likely to also harm other white people if they think that people of color are going to be harmed too. So like the conversation around welfare, cutting welfare also wow. hurts white people, but it hurts black people Definitely. more. Cutting uh, healthcare also hurts white people, but it hurts black people more. Cutting affordable housing also hurts mm-hmm. white people, but it hurts black people more. And we see people vote against their own interests all the time. And so I think if we could find a way to create like more class-based solidarity, there could be less solidarity with someone's whiteness. But we see lower income and middle class and working class white people kind of tinker with where their power is. They might say within this system of power, I don't have the benefit of being rich, but I do still have the benefit of being white. And so I'm going Mm. to now leverage all of my power into my whiteness and do what I can to preserve white power because I don't have class power. And we see that happening all the time. Uh, I just finished watching um, The Black Messiah about the murder of Fred Hampton, where they Mm. show Fred Hampton rallying with uh, white supremacists in the South and saying like, hey, we're all poor here. How about we rally against classism and the the Mm -hmm. elites and in that scene it worked i'm not actually certain how well that worked historically (laughs) uh but something along those lines could be quite powerful and and sometimes we see glimpses of it uh like around covid seeing like hey um we're not all experiencing covid the same way or around voter disenfranchisement saying like hey i don't want to wait four hours in line Uh, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. a lot of us are smushed into cities or into areas that uh, can't compete with certain other areas. Uh, But I think a lot of the disconnect too is that a lot of lower income white people are in rural areas and those lower income white people don't have the proximity to Uh, people of color. And so some of that gets missed. Wow. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense um, because uh, I guess I've never heard it framed by proximity. And so I, I do see how the the um, tax bracket that you're in, if you aren't proximal to you know urban spaces or black people, then you won't you won't even experience the same kind of um, systemic oppression. And I, I'm curious, Rich, is your background urban? Is it rural? Family? Uh, urban. Urban, Urban? Yeah. okay, yeah. yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Um, no, I was I was looking up a book, so I've been reading, and I'm curious if you've read. I don't I, I don't know in academia if this person how this person is is viewed, but Carrie Merritt, 
Carrie Lee Merritt. Uh, they wrote a book called Masterless Men. It's, it's about the sort of um, the uh, wealthy South, wealthy South Southern whites uh, pre-Civil War and their um, sort of campaign to keep the slave and uh, the enslaved uh, uh, African Ameri Africans, African Americans, and uh, poor whites separate. Like it was mm -hmm. a huge sort of campaign where they would they naturally came together. They 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 uh, w and the 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 um, while slavery, of course, was specific like um, detrimental to 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 blacks in the South. Uh, the, the most like physically like take away their freedom like all the things that, that happened it also uh, like uh, you know secondarily or ancillary ancillary they couldn't like white poor whites couldn't work unless their wages were super low and things like that like so there was this there was this um she's sort of documenting the the um uh, the propaganda that 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 wealthy whites you know used to keep those to keep those two groups groups separate when they wanted to naturally come together, I was curious. Yeah, yeah, and I just it just it just seems like that's still that's still going on. And um, I don't know where I was going with that, Chris. Sorry. I uh, <laughs> no, that's kind of good. That's yeah. a really cool book. <laughs> I am gonna put that on my list. Um, yeah. I know that that's sort of how like slave patrols came to be, and that yeah. the yeah. white owning class said to the white lower class, "You can't have these slaves." enslaved people but we will give you power over them and you can police yeah. them and you can abuse that power because we're not going to stop you don't kill them because we need them to work but otherwise right. you do what you want and then that evolves to become things like the police and militias mm -hmm. and then we also saw that take a slightly different form uh, around the european immigration boom in which mm -hmm. italians and irish people were very incentivized to go into community policing of lower income black and brown neighborhoods because Italians and Irish people weren't really considered like white yet. They right, were at right. the lower end of the hierarchy there, but mm -hmm. they still weren't black. And so they could mm -hmm. have that benefit of a proximity to whiteness by serving as the overseer, the policer of wow. the black people. Yeah. So there is yeah. always that sort of like, you're not, as high up on the hierarchy as us, but like, thank goodness you're not as low as them. And if you let them yeah. rise, they're going to take your place and you're going to be at the bottom. So now you have a duty to keep yourself where you're at to keep them down. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like, you know, the, the white oppression, and I know it's, that's probably not the best way to say it, but just for this imperfect conversation of the, the, the white population that feels oppressed and then typically gets manipulated to, have power over um, in, in some regard. I, I hear, and maybe opportunity is not the right word either, but with the growing number of white people feeling the microscope or feeling oppressed, I, I'm, I fear the, the same kind of move, uh, the same kind of chess move of, hey, you, you, you feel oppressed right now. Um, you can get power by putting down these black organizations trying to move forward and these groups that are trying to demonize and back to our, our previous episode with a conservative political science professor, he felt he was pushed out of academia and he felt like his, he was oppressed because of his views being a conservative. And, and so I'm, I guess I'm 
hearing more conservatives feel like they really need to be fighting the power of black movement because they're being oppressed. And I, 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 it scares me that that even happens in academia, but it sounds like that's also a feeding ground in some ways. And so I'm curious what your experiences are there. Well, I don't have any experiences being oppressed or being conservative. So that's never been a concern of mine, uh, thankfully. But um, <laughs> I do think, though, that there is, we talked about interest convergence before. And I think yeah. that there is an interest convergence happening right now because socially it's, at least in my social circles, which are incredibly biased and right-leaning. Nope, left-leaning. <laughs> <laughs> which are incredibly biased and left-leaning because there seems to be a taboo on conservatism. Like It's not cool, it's not down, it's not mm-hmm. right yeah. now. Uh, and so there's less of an interest convergence for people who maybe are somewhere in the middle to choose mm-hmm. conservatism because they might risk their, their social relationships or their cool factor or whatever have you. However important that is to some people, I don't know. Uh, But societally, we are seeing that there's a larger chasm in between who's considered right and left than there were Mm -hmm. in the past. Like, I know my parents have some friends who are conservative. I have some acquaintances that are conservative, but all my close friends are are fairly uh, left-leaning. Fairly, very (laughs) left-leaning. And so... One, I think numerically, there are more people in the U.S. that are at least uh, registered the Democrats. Uh, I don't we don't do like a self-selection poll on like who is conservative versus liberal. Uh, But there are more Mm -hmm. people who are registered Democrats, uh, depending on where you live. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so when I think about like the the danger of making people feel oppressed, Mm -hmm. I think they're going to have to get over it. Because to mm. I didn't I didn't make up this quote I saw that on the internet but uh, to those accustomed to privilege equality feels like oppression so if you're so yeah. used mm. to like always wow. getting privileged to always being considered to always being praised and then that's happening for mm-hmm. other people you're not gonna like it if you've always been the favorite and now someone else is the favorite or someone else is getting the attention that's not gonna yeah. feel good for you uncomfortable but mm. I think. That at least the white people in my life have realized like yeah the world's been really unfair for forever and now it's mm-hmm. tipping a little bit not in my favor and i think i'll survive as long as it means that the people i love and care about will also yeah. survive uh, yeah mm-hmm. but it's not everybody can get on board with that i i think everyone could uh but i think it has a lot to do with confirmation bias as well we don't like as humans to be wrong and so if yeah, right. you learn something new at some point in your life and you want to change your mind, we're really reluctant to do that because that requires admitting that in the past we've been wrong. And so if you've mm-hmm. ever like been in an argument and realized you were wrong 20 minutes in and you're like, never mind, this is the hill I'm dying on. I don't care if I'm wrong. Yep. Uh, that happens yeah. all the time. And people will, yeah. will spend their whole lives feeling like that. And, and one day well, I think I think you're onto something too. Like I think that's... I... I, I, I uh, I think that's what's needed is is a really clear look at at, at the, the historical context we find ourselves in, right? Look at our history, and and see because you know, and, and have a real honest conversation about where our different groups that we belong to have been wrong or been you know I don't know that may may have misstepped, um, you know, because I think about well, what did Democrats look like 
uh, 60 years ago versus what mm -hmm. it looks like now. But we don't we don't hear you know we don't hear that talked about because um, uh, I'm 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 pretty left leaning myself, and, I, and that's one thing I've noticed is uh, we don't talk about that. And then the uh, from the sort of conservative side or right wing, I guess whatever else, this I see the same thing. Um, and I, and I, I, you know, I think, um, I don't know who said it. I, I don't know, I'm not sure who said it, but, but looking to sort of like, uh, South Africa to, to, as a good, as a good model. And then like we have, we can, we can heal and we can, can re reconnect and we can, um, begin to, to heal our nation, but we have to be honest about our past mm -hmm. and everybody's past and, and, and not only own up, but you know. I guess own up to it and you know admit that it happened or because i mean I've, i'm still there's still things that like people don't even they don't even but there, there's so much like misinformation or whatever else like or just like digging in your heels mm -hmm. that they don't even believe like facts that are kind of right in front of them and so it's it seems like a very difficult <laughs> difficult task but i think that being honest with one another about where we came from is is uh, inter integral integral yeah, it, yeah. It, uh, it's part of it. <laughs> yeah, part of yeah, how, how we get there. I don't know. You just reminded me. Uh, I posted something about like Abraham Lincoln months ago at this point. I didn't realize there are Abraham Lincoln stands on Instagram, and I posted a quote mm. about Abraham Lincoln where uh, he said something along the lines of, uh, "I don't think I'm definitely paraphrasing, but he was not." pro-slavery but he was not pro-equality either he was right no right yeah right, he, right. he said that white people should have the dominant stance in society yeah. he tinkered with sending all the black people back to africa uh mm -hmm. he sure was not this like shining star of emancipation and Correct. equality like we think that he was uh but mm -hmm. in my comments i was hearing things like well he only said that to get elected or uh it, he mm -hmm. was a republican mm -hmm. and and blah blah, blah which is true in some ways um but there seems to be a lack of acknowledgement that the de the terms democrat and republican had a very dramatic platform shift somewhere between lincoln and the new deal mm. and then cementing yeah. itself in reagan and nixon and so the yeah party platforms are dramatically different than they are now but mm -hmm. there's there's like no one talks about that um and then mm -hmm. how you mentioned that, like, there seems to be this complete reluctance in admitting that America is not perfect. Uh, and I think that that's odd because we talk about, like, Russia and China and, and propaganda mm -hmm. and we're about freedom. Mm -hmm. But, like, we are super into propaganda. Uh, and yeah. we create this, like, American <laughs> exceptionalist notion that, like, we're perfect. We've never done anything wrong. We're the beacon of freedom. We have the most people locked up on the planet. And we... Have yeah. like huge gaps in wealth and income and homelessness, and it's like truly wild to me that some people I see year after year on Fourth of July post like we are the most free nation in the world, and it's like we're mm -hmm. super not. Am I very grateful to have been born in a wealthy country that I can talk smack about the country and not go straight to jail? Yes, Amen. absolutely. Does that mean <laughs> that I'm super pumped about this country's vast inequities? No, and I'm not going to shut up about no. it. Uh, yeah. So, it's the end of that rant. But <laughs> that's good. That's great. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> great rant. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, Victoria, so what? Um, you know, you went over some of your some of your labels and, and things, and and um, 
what are what are some ways in which in which people that want to be allies to you um uh, how how what, what are some things that they can do like just kind of general things or specific it isn't you know as specific as you want to get but so i've been thinking, how can I, how can we be allies to you <laughs> so i've been thinking a lot about how people can put their privilege at risk for other people mm -hmm. and that doesn't require like saving other people but it's rather yeah. just leveraging the privilege that you have to support the work that marginalized communities have been doing for generations uh so whether mm. that looks like volunteering your time donating your mm. money or literally putting yourself at risk like i saw a video a few weeks ago of white protesters putting their bodies between the police and black protesters yeah. because they knew that their whiteness might protect them from being physically harmed by the police and they were willing to to take that risk and to bet on that yeah and um, and so i think it looks something like that it's leveraging <laughs> acknowledging that there is privilege there that you might have that I don't have or that communities mm. don't have and giving some of your privilege away. I think that's how we start to get that work going. But ultimately it's about system level change. Uh, and so yeah. uh, there's a Martin, a Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King uh, speech where he talks about uh, legislation and he's like, I'm super paraphrasing. This is not a direct quote at all, but he says something along the lines <laughs> of, um, I don't care what's in someone's heart. I care whether or not they're going to be held accountable if they hurt me. Uh, and so yep. I think system yep. level change is what it's going to require to make sure that we don't have to have these conversations every single generation, yeah. because we'll get to the point where the systems will be designed to treat everyone equitably. And sometimes that requires giving people more than we give other people to get them to an even playing field. But I think because mm -hmm. of, the myth of American meritocracy, where it's our best suited people that do the best and not considering that some of us are uh, born with certain privileges. Um, then the question of equity gets kind of clouded because then it looks like, well, they got that. And why did we get that? And that's reverse racism. And mm -hmm. that's not fair. Completely ignoring the fact that we have discriminated against and marginalized certain groups of people for the past 400 some odd years yeah. and then some yeah, other yeah. groups of people stepped on the scene a little bit later, but we're still marginalized. Uh, and so I think it requires equity to get to the point that equality is beneficial. But right now that wouldn't solve the problems. It would just maybe keep them from getting wider faster. Uh, mm -hmm. So what I, what I hope allies should do is to recognize the need to redistribute power, wealth, resources, um, in a way that is equitable in the power that they have hmm. to do that. And sometimes that requires putting your individual privileges at risk. Yeah. Wow. And um, I, from reflecting on other podcast episodes that we've had, I, I hear a group of people who have never not considered themselves, right? Like, is there... I mean, I guess, you know, the educational process starts with awareness, right? You have to become aware of it um, and then kind of contemplate your actions. Um, I'm, I'm curious in the education field, are there classes, are there um, steps that people are kind of helping people take that first step into removing their individual selves? Because I'm sure that seems very scary. <laughs> yeah. 
So it's definitely scary to do anything for the first time, right? That's why I've never been to the drag race. Yeah. I don't know how it works. Do I tell them <laughs> there's a stain? Do I pay for it now? Do I pay for it when I pick up? I don't know. And confronting people in your life about things like racism is way scarier than going to the dry cleaner, especially because that person could turn around and say, all right, bet you're not my friend anymore. And that would hurt. Mm. Um, so when we think about finding ways to learn more about how to be an ally, I mean, there's tons of like articles and podcasts like this and Instagrams yeah. to follow and articles to read and courses to take. And there are definitely um, like, collegiate courses that you could take but like those are quite expensive uh but mm. i know a lot of like social justice leaders will have zooms or ted talks or youtube videos or courses that you can sign up for like infographics that you can subscribe to uh so there's no shortage of resources and many of them are on the internet for free um but then also there's things uh like intergroup dialogues which i've really enjoyed uh mm. which are like interesting it's, it's a learning model where you bring people who are different from each other together to talk about topics or different yeah. things or things like that. And it's facilitated by That's people awesome. who are trained to have those kinds of discussions. Wow. Uh, but mm. there, I don't know about in the regions that you live, uh, but at sure. where I live next to a university, we have those. Um, <laughs> but there's a whole bunch of options. And I think that it's best to find the one that works for you. Uh, for instance, like I know that my implicit bias isn't super jazzed to engage with people who I know are going to disagree with me specifically mm, because yeah. when I'm talking about my identity and right to live and exist in the world, I don't really want to hear an opinion that tells me that no. Uh, right. Yeah. So it, it, yeah, when it's tied sure. to your identity, it becomes a whole other question. But all that to say, yes, there are plenty of options. A lot of them are on the Internet for free and some of them are more community based. Perfect. Awesome. So with you being in the college space, how are how are fraternities and sororities handling this this time period? Because my experience with fraternities and sororities, they seemed very segregated. And so I'm just curious what that looks like. Uh, it depends on the fraternity and sorority and it depends on the chapter. So let's specify the historically and predominantly white fraternities and sororities because the culturally based fraternities and sororities, they're not perfect when it comes to being like socially aware, but they have race to an okay level for most of them. They still deal mm -hmm. at times with like colorism or tone policing or toxic masculinity or anti LGBTQ and things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, but for race, that looks a whole lot different in the historically and predominantly white organizations. So some of those organizations I think are doing a pretty good job in talking about race. Um, they are uh, solving or seeking to solve problems in a way that actually gets at the root of the problem and not just uh, focusing on slapping a bandaid on it because they're going to get canceled if they don't. Um, but I would say it's not all of them. That would be a, a rather small few. And that's most of the sororities. I don't really know mm -hmm. what the fraternities are doing nationally. Uh, I can only speak to the fraternities on my campus. Uh, but I know where where I work and at some of the schools I've worked at previously, the historically and predominantly white organizations are very predominantly white um, and mm -hmm. don't always see that as a problem. Like they know mm -hmm. that right. that's right. their reality and they know that some people don't like it. But they seem to push the buck off to like, oh, well, that's Alabama. That's Mississippi. That's Florida. That's not us. We're mm -hmm. not doing that. But 
they are. Um, hmm. So I don't know. I, I'm of two minds of fraternity and sorority life. On one hand, I think that it is incredibly valuable. Uh, you build relationships, you build leadership skills, you build networks, you come into your own in these organizations, you find your home away from home. On the other hand, they are sites of racial violence and sexist violence mm. and sexual violence and overconsumption and drug dependency and sadism. Uh, and so I'm not really sure what's going to win out in my little like internal debate. Is it a organization that is more good than they are bad or the organizations mm -hmm. that are more bad than they are good? And can they become something that is more good than they are bad? through change or is it a system we need to throw away and start again interesting wow wow so my i did not dive into any uh fraternities um because i did not and it could be a stereotypical impression that i had but i did not see any of me in the in the fraternities that were around and um so i i went but like a student organization kind of route, which, you know, you used to have the, the relationships built, but I, I do feel like I'm missing the long-term relationships that are built out of for sororities and fraternities. And so on the outside looking in, sorry, my, uh, I have this guest here that has to be a part of the podcast today. Um, is, that, is that Zeus? Uh, this is Mankey. 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 Uh, okay. Like Pokemon? Yes. <laughs> definitely like the pokemon uh he's uh, zeus's mama's little boy and and mankey hangs out with dad but um from my experience of looking on the outside looking in i i want sororities and fraternities to be um, beacons of unity that's what i feel like they should be but it, it to me i always see just debauchery i don't know if that's if that's <laughs> imperfect that's that's sure, just, sure. just is what i see and so I, mm. I i for young people growing up in a time like this where i would assume college campuses look different in the wake of 2020 and it, it could be a perfect time for reframing that's from my perspective especially here on the uh, west coast um but i'm just curious if if you see the opportunity for that redirection, or if it is like, we just got burn it down. Mm, I'm not sure. Um, so over <laughs> the summer, there was a movement called the abolish Greek life movement in which many mm. chapters saw like huge portions of their chapters disaffiliate because they took a step back oh, wow. and said, fraternities and sororities are founded on racism and exclusion and historically white fraternities and sororities are founded on racism and exclusion. They, uh, are sites of sexual assault, sexual violence, uh, and the other bad things I described earlier. Uh, and mm -hmm. I don't think I want to be a part of that. And a lot of people took a step back and disaffiliated. Um, and so I remain active in fraternity and sorority life because I feel committed to an organization that I know can do well, but has a lot to work mm. on. And I think that I'm uniquely equipped to help them work on it. I may get to a point at some point when I decide my energy is not as fruitful here as it could be somewhere else. And this organization mm -hmm. is not actually involved or interested 
um, in doing that systems level upheaval of power and privilege. And I don't mean my organization specifically. I mean, like, fraternity and sorority life, uh, historically mm-hmm. white fraternity and sorority life. Um, and so will I get there at some point? Maybe. Am I there right now? Maybe. But probably not. <laughs> probably not right now. I'll, I'll stick it out. Uh, but I think time will tell. We'll find out pretty soon if it was uh, if organizations were talking a big talk over summer 2020 and aren't trying to walk mm-hmm. that walk in summer 2021, uh, which is only a year, right? Like, if you're going to give up already, like, where was that drive? Yeah. But I think only time will tell. And I'm really interested in doing some longitudinal research. So focusing on institutional data changes over the course of a few years. And if we're noticing that the data is not budging and there's not mm. any progress being done, then I'm not certain how long I will maintain this hope, but some of the hope has remained. That's honest. That's what I love about this show is just getting um, the true feelings. And I think a lot of us are conflicted in, in a lot of these things as well as we're trying to progress and balance and it's it's a tricky thing um but we have we've also found in our podcast that a lot of times there are things that we feel that maybe the labels that we show up with don't match us the the stereotypical ideas of these labels don't really fit us and so i'm curious of the labels you chose are there any things that you kind of stand outside of and, and you disagree with where others might um, be lock and step. Uh, I don't believe so. I think I chose all of my identities because I am a part of that community firmly, uh, but maybe I'm misunderstanding mm. your question. Mm-hmm. So um, let's see. An example, I guess, would be um, we had a, a guest who was trans but they disagree with having to push their pronouns. And so just the reality that us as individuals don't always match up with our labels and what the predetermined idea of what that label has to believe, right? I know that there's no monolithic black culture, there's no monolithic left, right? But there are some things that people start to assume with those things, and so I'm curious if it I'm curious if there are any things that you disagree with within the culture of your labels. And it could be no. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say yeah, so, but yeah, I think that's a good that's, answer. I wouldn't say so, but I think that that's coming from a unique perspective that I do research on intragroup variability. And so a core of what I focus on is how groups are different within groups. And so I, I don't think mm. I tend to think of my thinking as representative of a general group um Mm, okay yeah i think originally in your question i identify as black and i do uh, Mm -hmm. but i also recognize that i benefit from colorism uh as a light-skinned black person um and so i mean black people in the united states are one of the most you know typically diverse uh racial groups in the u.s and so we look a lot of different ways uh, but I think mm-hmm. I would be remiss to not acknowledge that my experience has several privileges that a darker skinned black woman would not experience. Uh, also, the fact that I, this is not related to race, but I think I identified maybe as a, as a student or you know that I'm a student. Uh, and so I do have mm-hmm. the benefit of having 
gone to college and speaking the way that I speak, I think there are more people that are apt to listen to me because I don't have any sort of accent. I mean, I have an American accent, but like, I don't have Mm -hmm. a regional American accent. Um, And I think that I've spoken a couple of times about having grown up low income, but I had the privilege of uh, being really good at running in a straight line. And so I went to college on a full ride because I could Mm, run in a straight line really well. Um, I ran track. (laughs) And uh, so that was a privilege. Like I didn't ask for a body built like a donkey to be able to be really strong, but I got that. And uh, because Mm -hmm. of that, I was able to go to Northeastern for free. And Northeastern, when I was there, was like 60, 65 a year. So could never done that without that privilege. That's amazing. That's awesome. Definitely. That's awesome. Um, I, so I do have an imperfect question. Um, so with the labels and you identified as biracial, um, you are our first biracial guest. And in the perceivable future, I'm assuming I will have biracial kids, God willing. And so I'm just curious from, from a, a space of truly not knowing, like, like when, when I talk about, culture and race i always feel like i have some kind of maybe authority because of my experiences Mm -hmm. but but parenthood one no experience with that but let alone raising a a biracial kid when i remember growing up expressing colorism expressing these um maybe i mean they were just wrong flat out wrong things to say about my light-skinned brothers who i felt i felt that I should disrespect for whatever reason someone taught me to do that, mm-hmm. right? And so I'm just curious, what are some things that um, the biracial, what are some things that come with the biracial experience that I can help foster my kids' life and hopefully help them avoid some of those things? Uh, so I think it's pretty dependent on the racial mix of the person. Um, would you mind Hmm. explaining what the reason would be. My wife is white. Okay. Uh, so they would be black. Gotcha. And white. Um, so, so I do research. Uh, that sounds very like I'm experimenting on children. <laughs> um, I research multiracial identity development. I wrote my master's thesis on it. So this is my jam. Uh-huh. Um, okay. <laughs> and uh, in that research, we learn about hypodescendants. Uh, if you're not familiar with hypodescendants, uh, it has to do with racial classification. And hypodescendants posits that in certain societies, a child of a multiracial union will be relegated to the race that is considered lower. And so the thing about okay. white supremacy is that they can't remain supreme if they just let anybody in. And so if you are mm-hmm. or are suspected to be mixed, you don't get to be white anymore. You are now that other thing. Uh, and so that happens even more strongly with biracial black people because of the context of anti-blackness within American history. Um, a lot of this mm-hmm. is also dependent on what the baby looks like. If the baby doesn't look super black, uh, they might go, they might be perceived as uh, multiracial or like somewhere in the middle. If the baby does have more black phenotypical characteristics, tighter skin, darker hair, no, <laughs> tighter hair, darker skin. Yep, um, yep, yes. you got it. They, <laughs> it's late, we know. It's late. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's almost 10, time for bed. Um, they might uh, be more associated with blackness. It's very dependent. Uh, that mm. and the way that we look is not the only way that we are racialized. Like how the 
child mm. wears, their hair, how they speak, or the, the sports they play, or the mm. things that they enjoy might also lend to their racialization. Uh, and so what we know about biracial Black children is that it's very important that they um, have other Black children to grow up with so that they have a sense of wholeness uh, so that they're not just kind of mm-hmm. like in one world or the other. Though we know that these worlds clearly overlap and can be in the same you know, yeah. household and body. Um, typically, children who are multiracial are not considered white. And so they have to... Uh, or get to, I guess, be a part of the community that is the community of color. Um, yeah. Uh, I found it really interesting. My parents, when I was younger, were having a conversation with me about um, gay marriage uh, or like same sex mm-hmm. marriage, and which is mm-hmm. marriage. Uh, but my right. mom was telling me that she would never stand in the way of two people who love each other being married because when I was born, it was still illegal to for my parents to have been married uh, because wow. Alabama did not yeah. get rid of their anti-miscegenation laws until 2020, no, until 2000. And then North Carolina didn't do it that until 1999. So it's... Wow. Uh, it, yeah. The, the concept of America being cool with interracial marriage is fairly new for a lot of the country yeah. and a lot of people. Um, so I think your kiddo knowing that both of her parents have very strong racial identities and both of her parents love other people of the same race as them um, and people mm-hmm. of the other race as them, I think is going to be really important. Um, we hear a lot I've read a lot of articles about like Kim Kardashian's children during my research. Mm-hmm. And a lot of yeah. researchers are interested in seeing what their children's perspective of black women will be. Cause Kanye has said mm. very derogatory things about black women in the past. And so sometimes there is that sort of stereotype or trope of black men who date white women, not loving black women. Uh, yeah. And so I think that, that kind of conversation tends to be important, especially if it's a girl. Uh, yeah. So there's lots to consider, but there's lots to with literally any other type of baby as well. So best of luck. Yes. And uh, I'll send you my thesis if you want to read it. I have, yeah, I have similar sure. conversations awesome. with my partner. We're nowhere near marriage at all. Uh, but he is white and Chinese. And I was describing to him where I want to live when we buy a house in like a decade and uh i described a school district in westchester new york and he was like we cannot move there because your our child will grow up with only white kids and i don't want that to happen Mm. and then he was like Mm. the baby's gonna be confused enough (laughs) and uh i'm like what do you mean and he's like well there aren't there already aren't gonna be very many kids that look like them they're gonna be black white and chinese like how many wow. of that are there? And I'm like, that's an excellent question. I don't know. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, Victoria, uh, this has been fantastic. Uh, thank you so much. I mean, this is, this is great. Is there any, um, do you have like a social media presence or anything like that? Do you have like, I don't know. I don't know what a PhD student, uh, you know, <laughs> do you have anything to support? Do you have Patreon? I don't know. <laughs> how like can that? we support sure. you yeah, i am <laughs> developing a patreon but it's not published yet uh for now i'm okay. on instagram twitter and tiktok 
under Victoria Alexander. That's V-I-C-T-O-R-I-A-A-L-X-N-D-R. <clears throat> so uh, okay. only one vowel in that last name. Social media have rules on how long your name can be, and my name's too long. Uh, so I had to make some <laughs> concessions there. And then I have like mm-hmm. Venmo and PayPal and Cash App under that same name as well. Everything's linked in my bios for all of those. So if you find one, you found them all. Awesome. And we'll link those in the show notes too. So uh, thank you again, Victoria. This has been fantastic. And and, uh, and Chris, I mean... <laughs> I, I feel like now that I know your jam, we need to have you back. Um, yeah, because yeah. there's so yeah, much for to, sure. to dig into there. And um, I think you have a wealth of knowledge. And I know our listeners walked away with a lot. So we're just so thankful to have you, Victoria. And we hope that we'll, you'll come back sometime. I would love to come back. Uh, I also have a personal website called victorialynnalexander.com. That's L-Y-N-N. Uh, and there I have a thing I've been calling the anti-racist resource guide, which is like a 60 page Ooh. long document that I rage created uh, over the summer of 2020 <laughs> and I've added to since then. Uh, but lots of resources there. Soon that website will be moved to its own website. So it's not going to be under my name anymore. Um, and so I hope that if your listeners are interested in, in learning more about anti-racism and uh, alleviating anti-blackness, there's lots of resources there too. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll, we'll throw that all in the show notes and uh, thank you again so much. It's been a pleasure. Oh, and perfect allies. That was just an amazing conversation with Victoria and we're just so thankful to have her and we can't wait to have her back. I know y'all walked away with so much information and please, please reach out to her on social media. She is a light in this time and I know you'll, you want to support her in any way possible. So follow her slide in the dms and say how can i do more (laughs) like do whatever it takes because you are a perfect ally and we know you care Uh, thank you victoria thank you again and we'll see you soon well chris that was a well what a conversation uh that was pretty awesome yeah i i i haven't i think so Victoria was our first guest that was really in this space, right? And studied, knowledgeable, and the amount of knowledge that was just flowing, I just, I I was blown away. She was so impressive. Uh, And that reminds me, my first uh, imperfect move was, uh, I said, uh, we are not educators, and I'm going to correct that. I am not an educator. You, sir, are an educator. That is true. I I wouldn't even have caught that. You know, I'm, I'm my dad's child microaggressions <laughs> over my head how didn't dare mean, you richie mean, i know didn't mean to microaggress you buddy uh no i was just saying that i was trying to say uh you know we're that's the the, the space is not necessarily educational from from our you know not we're not coming to it from that but i i just wanted to acknowledge that first first uh. and foremost you you are an educator for sure so that's my bad um but no like i thought um you know I, uh, I I think that she really addressed the questions that I had that I felt like I was maybe speaking for some of our listeners that, mm-hmm. that, you know, were asking some of the questions in their head or had that same thing. One of the things that really stood out to me from the conversation was like the identity that's linked to um, uh, this, the, whether you're, you know, you're a, 
oppressed or or systemically oppressed or 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 whatever else or under a microscope under a microscope right right so you know she was talking about how like well you know if somebody doesn't want to hear um it's not hear what she has to say but like it's almost as if um you know somebody's somebody's view that you know she's wrong is is linked to identity in a way that makes her identity wrong Mm. and i think and i think also what i heard and i could be wrong about this again i'm i'm willing to be wrong as uh, our listeners know uh but was also too that that the identity of the people that would say that is absolutely linked to hearing messages like just get over it Mm-hmm. Like, and I, and I didn't address that with her because I was late and I, you know, at the same time, and I think she would have addressed it fine. Um, and, 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 and in some ways did, because she's like, you know, that stuff's linked to who I am as a person. If you, wow. if you don't hear my experience or you don't, you don't hear the data that's out there or yeah. you know, that's, that shows these things that I, that I believe that are linked to my labels, you're, you're almost disqualifying me as a, as a person in some way. Mm. And I, and I wonder if that. If those that you know feel like they're under a microscope, straight white men um, feel like they're under a microscope, uh, feel that same in some ways that same way, but don't have the language, yeah. don't have the language to to talk about it in that way. And um, you know, I, 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 and that's that's where I think class, what you talked about, class was so important. Like, yeah, because I, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm keep going. You you look like you're ready to talk. Well, sorry. <laughs> And again, our listeners, y'all know a common thread that we all share is that we're human. Right. And so Mm -hmm. it's like the the way we communicate what what our emotions are or what we're feeling. It's tricky because we might use totally different words. But Victoria Mm -hmm. was very well spoken of saying, when you challenge me, you aren't challenging my ideology. You're challenging my identity. And I think you're 100 percent right is what it feels like by saying hey, you're privileged or what it feels like saying, hey, you're not you're not oppressed. You're just under a microscope right now. That's challenging my identity as maybe a cis white male who who's worked really hard to be where I'm at. And now I can't speak my mind like. Yeah. And and I think that's really astute of you to notice those similarities as, as we've been working through this, because maybe there is a connection with how Victoria is feeling about it when she's scared or scared is not the right word how victoria is feeling when she said she knows she's biased to avoiding conversations to people that would challenge her identity in that way yeah and i think that's the exact same feeling of maybe the um quote unquote white people who aren't ready to have this conversation it's the same thing i'm biased to having a conversation with someone that's going to challenge my identity and we really need to figure out how to communicate clearly uh, with one another. Um, but Richie, one thing that I thought was really profound was when early on in the podcast, Victoria was mentioning how there's a balance between that radical and that stability. And I heard this, I, I'm a former athlete as what I love about what Victoria says. She wants to label herself an athlete, even though she hadn't been outside in a while and hasn't ran. I haven't done any kind of athleticism or I haven't done any type of athletic activity in maybe 14 years, but I'm still an athlete. (laughs) It's going down to my grave. But what I hear is 
the um, Steve Kerr, the coach of the Golden State Warriors, and this is going to make sense, but it, it's a long-winded way of getting to it. Uh, oh, Steve Kerr of the Golden State Warriors has won multiple championships. And some might say it's because uh, he has the best athletes, the best shooters, the best program. Um, but what his players say is every man on the bench knows their role. And he speaks to it. He doesn't say, hey, you're going to play next week one day. He says, your role is this. And when we find a team that we need you on, you will be playing. So don't mm. question it. You have a role on this team. I know you're mm-hmm. not getting the minutes right now, but that's because for this current issue, you don't fit. Or, or For this current team, for this current problem, we have other people who are better fit to tackle it, but you have a purpose and you have a role. And these players know that, so they are always bought in because they know their time will come when the problem is right. And I could see a beneficial way of communicating to conservatives is, hey, we know you have a skill. You have a skill of making sure that our foundational things are solid and strong. And right now we're tweaking some of those things. So we're actually not needing as much of your voice right now because some of these things Mm -hmm. that we're talking about do need to change. But you have a role. You have a purpose to play in this. And it's the same the other way. Right. We're not talking to why you're on the team. We're not talking to why these American ideals are important, but the yin and the yang is necessary. And so we need leaderships like Steve Kerr who can speak to the role that you play because otherwise you're going to say, I'm being marginalized. I'm being ignored. And Mm -hmm. that wasn't an accident. That was like a person in the distance, by the way. Uh, (laughs) That was the attempt to, I'm way over here. I'm being marginalized. (laughs) Um, Not an accent, but but you, you feel what I'm saying? I do, I do, and I and I think that, um, you know, it's 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 uh, going back to what we were talking about just before. Like, I think, you know, whites here, uh, I, uh, they hear that their identity is being challenged, and that identity is of oppressor, right? They feel mm. like you know they hear they hear, well, um, you know, there are these systemic things that are still in place that need to be changed. Uh, you're part of that. You benefit from that, and so that identity that is put on them is that they're the oppressor. They're an oppressor, gotcha. Right, and they're like, and so oh, that's not does, my identity. That's I know. I'm a you know I'm a you know a straight white dude. I like you're the Lord, and I like America, and I'm a like I don't understand any like why would this? And so I, mm-hmm. I think that um, that's not what I don't think that's not what Victoria said, and I don't think that's what the left is saying either. Um, I, I, I do, but I do think that it's important for the left to hear how the right hears those things and not dismiss it. Mm-hmm. We have to, I mean, it's, it's easy to dismiss it because there's like, I get it. I get it. I get like, um, you've been in power for a long, long time and, uh, there's a lot of screwed up things and we've got to change them. And, um, you know, I don't really want to hear from you and how to fix it because this, you, you're, you're the reason we're here. Um, and you know, somehow as a white man, I represent that. Um, I, I, I think that we need to, it, it, and I've, and I've, I've run into this a lot with like, um, with in, in sort of left of center spaces is like, well, I don't really care what a Trumper believes or I don't really care what a Trumper mm-hmm. thinks. And I get that. I understand that because I, in a lot of ways, I'm like, I'm with you in that because I don't, I don't, you know, <laughs> you're, there's not, there's a lot of nonsense yeah. coming from some people. Um, that have those hats on and, and well, I mean, we saw it, we've seen it, you know, uh, 
January 6th and, and, and on and, and, and through, the, through the years. I'm not saying that Trump supporters are stupid or idiots or whatever else. What I'm saying is uh, I disagree with some of what they think and what they've done. Um, you're also, I, I, you're also yeah, not saying that they aren't stupid. Right. Oh, you're just saying well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying that I'm just saying we can't we can't dismiss them anymore. I mean, we, yes. we can't dismiss anyone. We can't dismiss ex- the experience of anyone. Yeah. And it, we had that experience has to be a part of the conversation. And it can't it can't be like, well, you, get, you just got to sit on the sidelines the whole game. Like, I, I don't know, man. I don't know. I mean that's that's a tough one because those those two sort of don't line up because it's it's the Golden State Warrior coaches like hey look I know I got a place for you and right now I, I need you to sit on this bench <laughs> yeah. because their defenses they're all over seven foot and you're five eight and I'm sorry man <laughs> but we I know you're fast and you can shoot but we can't we got to get our tall folks out there whatever it is yeah you know what I'm but saying if, um, if it if it's effectively communicated I and yeah. it's it's a shame that yeah. we don't allow athletes to jump into politics as if there's not a benefit to chaos magic where everything comes together and we steal from little bits of things you know like there's there's truth in that there's truth in unity of perspectives and bringing them all in because in the middle where they all meet is true effectiveness and i don't know if any of our leaders right now know how to tell the other person why they're on the team i think they only know how to say you're messing this up. Like that was, that was, that one's more of an accent. Um, but <laughs> I, I feel like, we, and I'm only doing that because Victoria, I love that. She was like, Ooh, I shouldn't have done an accent, but I thought that was, that was one of my favorite parts of, of the podcast um, was her accent. But it's oh, like, man. we need, <laughs> as, as we try and have fun with very heavy conversations, mm-hmm. we're going to, we're going to have to, you know, find little moments. Um, but, we need to be able to know why we're here. Like we need, I need to know why conservative thought is valuable. And we've talked about this yeah. before and we need to know yeah. why progressive thought is valuable. We exactly. also need to know how they have shown up and when the best times, like their history is such a great teacher because there have been opportune times for progressive thought and opportune yeah. times for conservative thought. Right. What if we just paid attention to that more so yeah. of like, this one needs to be powerful or this one needs to be powerful. It It's way more beneficial to say in the giving times, this is what we need based on historical data. Like, cause yep. we, sand talking people say, Hey, it's just one time. You just got to pay attention to the ebbs <laughs> and the flows. Mm-hmm. And then you see the connections. That's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. And the, and the, the, the one more thing that I'll, I'll talk about from the, conversation was you know she said that there are some groups that are sitting down and talking that are are from disparate or def- different different whatever classes or races or sexes or whatever else and talking to each other about these hard things and at man i mean that that really that really stuck with me because i feel like there is generational trauma that we are all dealing with and we're all dealing with it in the ways in, in which in which we know Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that is digging your heels in. No, mm-hmm. I'm right. It's 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 protecting the ego. It's protecting our personality. It's protecting um, you know our I, quote unquote ideals. Yeah. Um, and, and 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 instead of being you know sitting down, it's hard. You, you know, it's hard sitting down and and talking things out in a way that is uh, confrontational, and also like 
um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, vulnerable, I guess, I guess, and honest, you know, I mean, to, yeah. to hear, a, to, you know, in, in some ways to hear a white guy say, I feel oppressed. Part of me is like, get out of here. I mean, mm-hmm. this is ridiculous. I can, I can show you every, I can show you data that, sh- that, you know, shows that what we're, what we've been talking about, the, the yeah. school to prison pipeline, the, I mean, you know, just, there's so, there's, there's so many things that we can talk about that's like, look, you're not. And clearly we can demonstrate that you're not, Yeah. but it's negating the experience of that person when I dismiss it. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, and I, and, and my left-leaning friends, uh, here, please try to hear that. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know how else to say it, you know? And, and, um, I, cause I, I don't know. I, well i i know that you did say it and i and victoria heard it one thing first i i need to commend victoria because i think if i'm being honest she was our first guest that we gave the most pushback it probably didn't look like pushback but Mm -hmm. i really think that we we kept bringing diverse opinions towards her and she was knocking them out the park and, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. a lot of times we sit and we listen to our guests, but but she just has so much knowledge that I think she 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 definitely could handle it. And, and she gave mm-hmm. us so much knowledge. But I think one thing that was really cool, Richie, was when you shared how white individualism separates the data from, hey, look at the leaders, look at the senators, look at yeah. the presidents. And you're like, well, that doesn't that doesn't translate to white yeah. individualism. That, right. That would never work. And we have to know those we have to know how we're communicating otherwise we're going to keep saying nothing to the other group like we're going to keep repeating nothingness and i think she heard that when you said that which is awesome oh cool that's great that's great and th- and i think you know that's that's absolutely true right that's absolutely true like that that was insight for me too like oh yeah i could just I, as she was talking i'm like oh i see the disconnect here i see the disc because i don't have any connection with joe biden as a white man right i don't that doesn't it's not my he's not my people mm. at all what at all yeah, no, not at all, not wow. at all. I mean, I mean, he he looks sort of like my great uh, my grandfather, uh, so there's some recognition there, so there's some familiarity, mm-hmm. but I don't feel a connection with him at all. He's you know as far as a cultural connection at all. That's so interesting because I know, know when when Obama was in the White House, it was like yeah, I'm we, in the White House. We in here. We in here. We, exactly. Exactly. Like every every comedian was doing yeah. bits and skits because like the whole it was it was like. Yeah. The irony yeah. was like I don't know if people know about Andrew Jackson, but when Andrew Jackson was the president, he mm-hmm. was the first common man's president, and he mm-hmm. literally threw a party in the White House and let people in, and they ransacked the place. But he was like, "Yo, we in here? If you mm-hmm. were poor, I was raised poor. This is the first mm-hmm. poor president. We in here?" And so it mm-hmm. wasn't a representation of the white because everybody was white back then that that could vote, but it was mm-hmm. more of. I'm like you because I was born poor. And yeah. and so I, I like that also. Uh, I, keep doing, I also like that Victoria made the connection to um, the classes because that does seem to be more galvanizing of understanding of, hey, do you file your taxes under this label? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's us, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, that that yeah. seems to communicate a little bit more effectively with the individualistic focused people. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, it does. And, and um, because people in the people in varying tax brackets have a lot of similar experiences, you know, and and um, yeah, I mean, that's that's uh, 
Uh, yeah, so I mean, it sounds like a couple of things that we could take away is, is of course, continuing to talk each other, talk to each other, uh, talk to people that are different than us, uh, with uh, with a moderator, which I love that. I that mean, that's, was so cool. <laughs> I was like, dude, that's dope. You know, because you know, someone and it reminds me just of group therapy, right? Like in group therapy, a lot of times the patients are talking to each other. They're working things out either something that was done in group or something that was said, they're working stuff out. And the, the, the psychologist or the doctor is like just sort of facilitating this, this conversation. Um, and, and, and the patients are healing each other. Yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly what I think we need, man. I mean, that's yes. it. That's it right there. hundred sure, percent that, sure. that, and then if you have privilege, start with getting aware. I think most yeah. of our listeners, if you're at this point, you have the awareness piece, right? Mm-hmm. And, Victoria said, try and put yourself out there, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I think not everyone will be at that stage, but mm-hmm. I think um, it's commendable to even hear that and go, maybe one day, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think yeah. that's huge. I think that's yeah. huge. Yeah. I mean, that that representing that idea that that's possible yeah. is important, is important because that, that idea was not in my head until Victoria said it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what a great idea. Yeah. I know somebody's going to hear that and go. Maybe I could do that. Could I do that? Is that something I could do? I don't feel I don't feel equipped now. Is there anywhere? Can I go to take a class or is there a certification or you know, there's all kinds of things. You know, there's all kinds of the even um, like nonviolent communication. That's a, it's a huge one. You can go take classes in that and there's support groups for that. It's yeah. perfect for this kind of thing. You know, maybe not like uh, it does not focus on race, but it's, uh, it, you know, there's just there are things that are affordable and, and available to everybody, you know. Yeah. And it improves us building bridges to, to start. But... Absolutely. Wow. Building bridges. Wow, man. This was good. Um, yeah, Victoria was awesome. I, 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 I don't. Dang, this is now two weeks in a row. I feel speechless. Something. <laughs> it's okay. Be careful, people. If you start talking yep. to white people, you start uh, uh, just they get you, you. You just start absorbing something with this. The... <laughs> Um, yeah, man. Yeah, man. Clearly, if you you're wow. rocking with us this far, you know I'm completely joking. But, but yeah, Richie, man, I, I'm adopting the speechlessness, and um, and yeah, it's because that, think, we're hearing profound things. We are, we are, and they're and they're giving them time to settle and to to sit with them. And man, oh man, I mean, yeah. Well, uh, everybody, thank you so much for listening to the show. Uh, we appreciate your support. You can find us all over social media at Allies Imperfect. Uh, hit us up on, um, you know, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, all those places. We're there. Uh, the Patreon page uh, is growing, and we're really excited. Um, trying to bring, we're, we've uh, added a new feature that you can you can join the show live, chat with us live as we're chatting with guests to ask questions. We're posting on the Patreon now. It's only five dollars a month. There's only one tier. No. No nonsense, uh, just one one tier. So join us. You can hear back episodes of our candid conversations. Um, if that's interesting to you, you can join us. You can join us live. Uh, we we actually are, you know reaching out to patrons to be part of the show. We already had one patron on the show. We're gonna have another one coming up. So so please, uh, if you can support us, please do. Chris, as always, it's been an f- absolute pleasure, man. <laughs> yeah, it's been so good. And I I think one thing that we need to know as imperfect allies is not everybody is having the united conversation and it seems like there's a little more divisiveness in in the way other groups are going about it and i think here at imperfect allies if you're trying to figure out if you can become a patron 
I think it's valuable to know that your dollars will go to growing unity in this country. That is really what we're trying to do is build bridges and growing unity. So join us at Imperfect Allies, please. Mm -hmm. If if that is a cause that you believe in, um, we are doing that here. Uh, We're starting small, right? We're doing what we can where we are, as we learned on the Stacey Harkey podcast episode. But do what you can where you are. Come on, join us. (laughs) All right, Rich. All right, we're going to do it. Peace. Peace.